Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Payoff Pitch. I'm Chris Steele. I'm joined by James Vecchio. We're going to run down the first official week of the show where we have some Major League Baseball actually happening. So, James, it's just kind of exciting to have real games happening again and just to kind of see baseball out there and see this crazy game where guys come out of nowhere and surprise you. Yeah, it's it's my favorite time of the year. It's the start of the season. You get to see absolutely insane players who are doing well, and you go, what? And you get to do uh, absolutely insane players on the other end of the spectrum who are doing terrible, and you go, what? It's the, the perfect time of the year where you have small sample size, and some people are freaking out, and I love it. It's baseball. It's the start of baseball. It's it's perfect. Well, and there's two guys that just came out of nowhere, I think, to start this season, and I was kind of asking myself over and over again, who are these guys? Yerman Mercedes and Akil uh, Babado. And I have no idea if I'm even saying that correctly. I thought it was Baba Duke or something like that, that nightmarish villain from, you know, any streaming <laughs> channel you want to find on. But he's been fantastic. And I think there's actually long-term fantasy value in this guy too. Yeah, uh, I think between the two, uh, Akil, I think it's Badu, if I'm pronouncing yeah, it correctly. Badu. Maybe, maybe not, who knows. But I think he has the, the fantasy appeal. Mercedes is definitely hot, and if you want to throw a hot bat in there until it cools down and you have a roster spot to do it, he's the, the guy to add. But I think in a day or two, he's probably going to start cooling down. And in most leagues, he's only utility eligible. I know there are some leagues where he gets the, the catcher tag, which is huge. And in those leagues, he's definitely got a lot more value. But short term, fine. He's an ad. Play him until he runs dry. But long term, sell him. He's not. He's a 28-year-old rookie and part of a White Sox lineup where he's plugged into being the DH because of injuries. And the second he struggles, they're going to want to move elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and, oh, go ahead. And they're just kind of waiting around for Eloy to come back anyway. So there's no real like long-term value to this. Whereas I think with Badu, you could see that Detroit is just looking for anything they can throw out in the outfield and actually be a mainstay that they can get some offensive production from because they haven't had that since they got rid of Nick Castellanos. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Detroit's just searching around to find a guy, uh, and Badu's going to be able to get that playing time. And if he stinks it up for two weeks, Detroit's okay with still running him out there. He's a Rule 5 pick, so he's going to be on the big league roster the whole season. Uh, most cases, that's not a good sign. It means they're going to sit on the back of a roster and not play. Uh, in Badu's case, it means he's not going to get sent down. You don't have to have that fear of a slow slump, bad streak, whatever you want to call it, happening. And then he goes away and doesn't come back. Uh, so it's a, it's a net positive, I think, that he's a, a Rule 5 guy for short-term fantasy. Uh, and I think he can definitely provide you some counting stats. He's got a little bit of speed. He's got that pop. Uh, his average is probably going to go down and not be that great. But the AL Central isn't exactly uh, steaming with great teams. So I think he's going to be able to provide actual real season value so long as he gets the at-bats. And I think Detroit's committed to just playing whoever is looking the best. And I think he might be one of those guys all season. And on social media, I saw you were kind of uh, putting out there about guys you wish you had shouted about more like in the lead up to the season pablo lopez being one of them he's a guy i'm really high on too hasn't put together a great start to the season but like he said it's early right now who are some of these guys that to start the year you're kind of still in the back of your mind you're like man how did that guy get away from me or how do i get this guy on my roster because mine is nate lowe um, with the Texas Rangers, and he's got off to maybe the hottest start in baseball right now. He's just on fire. Two home runs last night, a slow start today, but he's been great to start the year. Yeah, uh, for me, it, it's I'm going back to kind of what we spoke about a few podcasts ago, but it's the whole NL East rotation. Uh, I wanted to put together a team in an auction where I had the entire Braves rotation and I had the entire Marlins rotation, and that was my pitching staff, and I somehow found myself not doing that. And also not having any of that Pablo Lopez stock. And that really stung because I love every single person on those staffs. And I think all season, you're just going to get elite performance after elite performance. Uh, if we're talking about someone who's a little more mainstream, I don't have any Shane Bieber stock. 
and that just stinks as a Cleveland fan. Uh, and also, he looks unbelievably good. His opening day start was just a quality start where he went six innings, gave up three runs, and struck out 12. That was a bad start. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy to think about, that the guy who gets you two Ks per inning, and you're going, ah, didn't get the win, it's not that great of a start. That's insane value. <laughs> Shane Bieber somehow, someway became an absolute star, and he's the best pitcher in baseball that's not named Jacob deGrom. That's a, a pretty fair assessment. Yeah. And, and I'm just disappointed I don't have enough stock in him because I'm going to be watching every one of his starts. Yeah, and it's frustrating from a baseball perspective, too, because you see how good he is, and then you see he has no wins on top of it, and it just makes you feel like the win is a frustrating stat to kind of get these days. It is, but I also enjoy the the chase of it. Uh, I think I'm definitely in the minority in that being a thing I enjoy. But I like to look at spot starters. I like to, to see who's streaming and go, oh, that guy's pitching against the Tigers. The, their lineup kind of stinks. Why don't I run him? And I get to play the gambit of maybe he does well or maybe the Tigers offense shows up and scores seven and I look like an idiot. That win chasing is something I like to do. It's kind of like chasing stolen bases uh, on the offensive side. You can go and say, hey, this guy steals bases. He doesn't do anything else. I need stolen bases. Let's plug him in and see what happens. That's what I'm doing on the pitching end, just trying to get a win. And I like that aspect. I think a lot of people find it frustrating. But I think a lot of people also don't enjoy the challenge. Uh, fantasy baseball isn't a sport where every single guy is going to get you all five quality stats. Uh, you're going to have to struggle. You're going to have to search. Uh, and I like that about it. It's not just plug and play like fantasy football is. You draft your best guys. You can reevaluate on week eight, and then you're pretty much done. It's it's just a draft. Baseball is about the grind. Your roster at the end of the season is going to look insanely different from the start of the season, and that's even if you're in a league with low trades. You, you need to do the grind, and that's what makes baseball baseball. It's 162 games. Even in fantasy, you're going to have to grind it out. It's a game of attrition. It's not a game of one-week victories. Yeah, and the hottest third baseman in all of baseball right now is Starlin Castro, which never would have occurred to me at all. Yeah, he's looked amazing in the limited time he's had over in Washington, and he's Starlin Castro, though. He's going to come back to earth. He's going to still hit 320 and get a bunch of hits, maybe, uh, if things go well for him. But yeah, he should not be the number one third baseman, and he's out here doing number one third baseman things. So say you got off to a rough start in the fantasy season. Do you feel like from a fantasy perspective, are you trying to push buttons and move guys around to try and optimize your lineup already? Or are you sticking to your guns and, and realizing it's early in the year? I drafted these guys high for a reason. What do you do from a fantasy perspective if you've gotten off to a rough start? You know, in theory, you should be trying to do two things during your overall fantasy draft. It's one, draft people you believe in, which is a very simple and easy concept that most people get done. Uh, and two, admit when you're wrong. Uh, often, people don't cut people fast enough, uh, and it's a crazy concept to think about, but if you have five injuries right now, if you just got all of the injury bug and things are bad, you can let someone go. It's okay. It's fine. You, you might need to do it because the stats today count the same as they do on game 161. Uh, at the same time, if you believe in these guys, you can't just cut them left and right. Uh, so it's a balancing act, but you got to understand the back half of your roster is going to cycle in and out. Waiting on them now is not the same as waiting on them in July or August. Uh, you don't just sit on a guy for two weeks hoping he comes back at that point. You cut him and go, all right, I need to go add somebody to go attack a certain stat. So you should be doing the same thing today. You, and when you do your draft and, and you've added those guys back in, August or, or whenever it was when you drafted, you should have that in mind that, hey, these guys don't have a leash that's hyper long. If I need to go grab a guy early, if I'm short in runs, if my team somehow doesn't have a stolen base yet, uh, I might need to go get somebody. So so you go ahead and you go attack and, and you don't play to, to lose value. You play to win the game. If, if you lose some value and you cut someone uh, that might get claimed on waivers, but you need to go get that guy who you add, so be it. Uh, uh, the winner of the league isn't the person who accrues the most value. It's who accrues the most fantasy points. All right. 
One guy that I've found really intriguing uh, just from the start of the season so far is Steven Matz. He's got a, a lot of name recognition. A lot of people like his ability. It's just throughout his career, he's always had something getting in his way, whether it's his numbers being bad or injuries getting him. This year, he's off to a great start. Are you buying into somebody like Steven Matz at this point, or is he going to just turn back into the guy we always think he is? Uh, I'm absolutely not buying Steven Matz. Uh, if you look at his line last year, he was the worst starting pitcher in baseball. And you know what he did in his first start? He went six innings, uh, gave up one run, and looked very good. Uh, it's the whole concept of, hey, it's just one start. <laughs> and Steven Matz, at this point in his career, is who we think he is. He's a streaky starter who's going to put together some gems. He's also going to put together some absolutely nightmarish performances. And he's pitching in the AL East. He was doing that before in the NL East when the NL East wasn't what it is today. There's no reason to believe that he's a full-season fantasy player. He might be someone who you stream. He might be someone who you get three straight good starts out of when he goes and faces Baltimore, then Boston, then back to Baltimore. But overall, he's not somebody that you want to put on your roster and say, that's who I'm taking my chance on, because the odds are just not good that someone at his age becomes great, becomes elite become someone who really helps your fantasy team. You can go and invest in someone who has better variability, who's just more likely to achieve that high-end status. And I just don't think Steven Matz is at all that guy that I want on my roster. And if I'm wrong, that's fine. I, I don't care. I, I don't want to invest in him. Well, and we want to, uh, while we're getting started tonight, we also want to thank our sponsor, Yard Barbers. Hate spending those long summer days doing yard work. We have just the solution, Yard Barbers LLC. Yard Barbers LLC is a local, fully serviced lawn care company looking to provide the Quad Cities with a quality and affordable outdoor service. Don't wait and fall to the back of the line. Contact Yard Barbers right now for free yard evaluation and estimates. Find Yard Barbers at Facebook at Yard Barbers LLC or find them by sending them an email at yardbarbersqc at gmail.com. And James, one thing that I've found really interesting, and I even found this team kind of interesting before the season started, is the um, St. Louis Cardinals. It, it seems like they have so many different storylines going on this year. One that I didn't really expect is Alex Reyes as the closer. And it just makes a ton of sense to me with all of his ability to find this role for him that, that just makes sense. It's kind of kind of protect him from himself a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think he actually makes the most sense as the closer. Uh, obviously like pretty much everyone else out there, I never thought he was going to be the closer to open the season, but he is. But today's closers should not necessarily even be the best pitcher in your bullpen. They should be a guy who's reliable, who has the stuff to be elite, but might be a little more inconsistent. And you want to have them face whoever they face in the ninth versus being that stopper, that uh, Giovanni Gallegos or Jordan Hicks, who's going to be out there being a star uh, in the seventh or eighth inning facing that heart of the lineup. He actually makes a lot of sense as someone who can just settle down in that ninth inning, know when and where he's going to pitch and just know what he's going to do. And the, the Cardinals can kind of, not baby him in relief, but to just understand exactly what to do with him in relief. So uh, I think it, it makes a ton of sense. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I'm a little ashamed that I didn't think of it early, but out of all of the new anointed closers, he's the kind of guy that I want to go and invest in because I think he's going to actually have long-term value. Gotcha. Well, and uh, Dylan Carlson is somebody that I'm kind of late on. I, I thought he was kind of, over projected as far as you know a prospect ranking goes and things like that he's lived up to the billing this year uh, is this somebody where you're trying to jump on board with him immediately or do you kind of want to wait and see how things are going to turn out for him i think i'm kind of in the middle of that uh i think i want to jump on him if i need an outfielder uh if i don't then i'm in a little bit more of a, a wait and see spot uh, he's definitely someone who has that prospect pedigree, and while he wasn't very good last year, it's also the Cardinals who constantly find outfielders and just turn them into being great. 
Uh, and at some point, you bet on that. It seems wrong. It seems not analytical at all. But also, if you've been betting on that for a while, you've been hitting on a lot of guys. You hit on Tommy Pham. You hit on all these other guys. And Carlson has that prospect pedigree. So uh, I definitely think that if you need somebody, you can go out and grab him. But he's not a, a must-grab, one of those prospects who's just going to be perfect right away, who we just somehow omitted. He's good. He might be great. If you want to go grab him, I'm not going to say no. But if you're cutting someone who's not on the back end of your roster, maybe rethink that. Yeah, and it seems like the Cardinals just have a lot going for them right now when they're not out there trying to start fights with people for being good at baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, on one hand, I, I get it. But, like, on the other hand, Why? Just, just let him do that. But it also works. He got suspended. Nobody on the Cardinals got suspended, so it it makes sense. But it it's also it's so Cardinals. I, I I can't stand the Cardinals. If I'm being honest, the whole moxie of the best fans in baseball and we're gonna protect the sanctity of the game is so just horrible. In the '80s, everyone pimped home runs. No one likes to think about it, but it's true. And it's just let him be happy. He's got hit by a pitch. He scored. You know if you were in that scenario, you'd be pretty happy too. Just let him do it. It's fine. He didn't He didn't do anything. But that's early season baseball for you. Everyone's on the same playing field. The Cardinals can't let the Reds one-up them because the Cardinals are supposed to be better. And, and that's what the Cardinals do. And as much as I don't like it, everyone in that clubhouse loves it. So I understand and get it. It's just uh, not a brand for me. Well, yeah, and I'm totally 100% behind you. Flash is kind of what the new wave of players is doing right now, and that's kind of the way baseball should be selling itself. It shouldn't be selling itself to the old guard. It should be selling itself to the younger fans, and at the same time, that's very difficult to do with the blackout rules and the way that the games are played, and at the time they're played too, that it's hard to get that younger audience and for telling them don't celebrate or don't be these flashy players that are a major part of your sport. That's kind of like shooting yourself in the foot at this point. Yeah. I mean, if we want to go on a little bit of an anti-ownership tirade for a moment, I think it's all just hogwash that the ownerships are like, Oh, we need to market to the young people The no one's coming to the games. It's completely false. Everyone's coming out to the games. The reasons that games run too long is because you have so much ad break in the middle of the games. If you want to cut off 20 minutes of the game, you don't have to change what's happening on the field. People are coming out and watching it. You have to change what you're doing with ad breaks. Have two less ads per break. No one's going to miss that except your bank account. And that's what they care about, and that's a fact, and that's how things go. But it's it's definitely frustrating when you see Nick Castellanos get suspended two games for that because that's what the league wants. People are talking about a Reds-Cardinals game nationally when it's the third or fourth game of the season, because that happened. It's good for the game. The crap about saying, oh, he's not a good role model is absolutely false. And everyone knows it, yet somehow, for some reason, that makes absolutely no sense. Baseball wants to uphold the sanctity. They want to be your grandmother's favorite game when every other sport wants to be the child's favorite game because they're going to invest the most money long-term over time. And it's just preposterous. It doesn't make sense, but it's extremely MLB. It makes total sense for them to be backwards and behind the times. Yeah. And it's just, you want to see the players having fun. And uh, Fernando Tatis is one of those players that is a lot of flash and he's playing the game kind of his way. And to have him get injured already this year with only let's say 13.95% of that contract left 13 years and yeah, nine, five years left of that contract. (laughs) Is this kind of going to be a cautionary tale to people to not go in for these long, long contracts like this? Uh, I think the answer is no to that one simply because Tatis is so young. Uh, I think the deal expires when he's 35, maybe it's 34. He, it's not a pool holes deal. He's not going to be playing into his 40s when he's regressed out of shortstop and he's a slap hitting first baseman like pool holes kind of is now. Uh, he's going to be fine as a 35 year old. He should absolutely belong on a major league roster. 
He'll have been moved off of shortstop at that point, but he might still be a second baseman. Maybe he's a third baseman. He doesn't have to be over at first. And frankly speaking, the marketing of these big contracts works for the owners because people right now look at Pujols and go, oh, what a terrible contract. He's getting paid $35 million to be a piece of junk and they should just cut him. Well, the reason he's getting paid $35 million is on the front half of that contract, they paid him a lot less than $35 million. He would have gotten paid an average annual salary the entire way and not done the benefit to the club and gotten paid on the back half as opposed to the front half. He'd be overpaid, but he might not be awful. The The reason he's overpaid by so much is because the club structured him for to, be, to be overpaid. So it's it's another way of just me ranting about owners, but it's also another way of me saying, no one's going to be mad about Tatis except for people who don't understand the economics of baseball. The, the Padres invested in him because they're going to get a gigantic return on the first eight years of that contract. And if the last seven of the years of the contract don't give them a good return, if the entire contract gives them a good return, it's worth it. They just designed it so at the end they have a great PR hit and Tatis looks like an overpaid bum. It's, it's the nature of the beast. But I don't think there's any reason to, to see people not want to sign those contracts. They make a whole lot of sense from both sides. Uh, I'd definitely sign that contract if I was Tatis. And my dad wasn't an MLB player like his was. Mm-hmm. You just want to get your money, and then you go out and play. And that's exactly what he's doing, and it makes total sense. And I think that's kind of the, the wave of the future now. Teams are going to want to lock up their Tatis as young, and the Tatises are going to want to get paid instead of waiting seven years to get paid. Well, and if you look at certain younger players in MLB too, if you do it right, you can get them early on in their career where maybe their value isn't even going to be near as high as it should be because the Braves did that with Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies. It seems like they signed those contracts with their family being hostages or something. And every time you look at it, you're like, how is this not beneficial to the club it's hugely beneficial to them and they just that's more money than they're ever going to make in their entire lives and they just locked it up because they could exactly the the system is a system designed to be advantageous to the owners uh that's understandable that's always going to be the way it is but at the same time the reason there's three years of league minimum is so the owners get to make money And then they also get to say that you're old on the back end when it's time to be a free agent. And that's not necessarily false. You are old. When you're a 32-year-old first-time free agent, you don't get a payday anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, The owners have fixed the system to be in their favor, as they should and as the players should try as well. But it's definitely just an unfortunate scenario. Baseball is the only sport where every offseason teams are just trying to clear out players and just get them off their team so they can reset their non-existent cap. And it's it doesn't happen in other sports. In football, yeah, you cut two, three of your 55 people on your team uh, in order to get under whatever your guaranteed cap space is. In basketball, you're moving out back into the bench, guys. No starters who are actual stars get cut. You don't see Kyle Schwarber just not get offered a contract by his team. It's... It's a system that is just designed so poorly, and it's because the owners are just grasping at straws, straws to maintain their control. And it's it exists in the other sports, but it, it executes itself so poorly in baseball. One of the things that the show, the video game does that really highlights how unfair it is, is you have to put up with the service time. So you're stuck wherever you get drafted for those seven years. And it gets so frustrating because you basically have to do whatever the team tells you for that period of time. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be an MVP your rookie season. You're still stuck there. You're going to make maybe uh, $500,000 at the end of your first year or something like that, depending on what arbitration is. And it just kind of highlights how broken the system is because you could be fantastic for a seven-year period. And then all of a sudden you're an older player and you've got these guys who are taking sweetheart deals out there because they just wanted to get on a team the last few years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the only profession in the world where you're locked in and you can't leave and go to another company. If I want to leave my job, 
I can go somewhere else. If I want to move, I just do it. It's insane that baseball players get drafted. No one else gets drafted. There's no accountant draft. There's no firefighter draft. You go where you want to go. Baseball doesn't work that way. And I understand our fandom. I love my Cleveland team. I want all the good players to be there. But frankly speaking, no one should be drafted. That's an insane concept. Uh, my proposal, which I've always said for the past decade, which obviously isn't uh, getting listened to very far, but teams should get cap space to sign players. Any player can sign anywhere. The worst teams get X amount more cap than the not worst teams. And it's structured in terms of the salary that goes out, just like the draft. Except the players can actually choose where they want to go play baseball. If they stink somewhere, they can't blame management because they went and chose it. It works on both ways, and it's just so archaic and frankly wrong that a draft exists, that service time exists, that you can't get paid until you work this long doesn't make sense. If you're good enough to get paid, you should get paid. If you're bad enough to get fired, you should get fired. It's an insane sport. You don't see any NBA players sitting in the G League because, well, we have to watch their service time. It's so stupid. It's such a stupid concept, and I'm ranting, <laughs> but I just can't help it. Yeah. It's just one of those things that doesn't make any sense why at the height of their ability, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo got paid less than Jay Cutler. It, it's, it's absurd on every level. And it just doesn't make sense why teams and owners don't try and fix it. Because if they want money, they need to make their sport look like everyone cares about winning. And no one, none of the teams appear like they care about winning besides the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. Everyone else looks like they care about making sure their profits stay. It's terrible if you're paying attention. If you're not paying attention, it's fine. But a lot of things are fine if you're not paying attention. Right, right. Well, and to kind of transition out of that, um, it's a good perspective on a way that, you know, the fantasy world is different in that kind of way. Um, the gaming websites that a lot of people go to now gives you that kind of feel of this is too much or I'm paying too much for this player when he doesn't deserve that. And I think that also kind of ingrains into people that idea of why are these guys getting so much money when why aren't these guys getting so much money? Exactly. It's, it goes back to the same type of concept of why do you care about what someone else makes? Right. Care about yourself. Try and get the most money you can. If someone adjacent to you in your profession is being overpaid, isn't that a net positive for you? Won't that mean that you get a little bit overpaid? Isn't that a net positive? Why do we care if a baseball player is overpaid? It just it doesn't make sense other than we believe the marketing campaign. If that person's overpaid, then someone else won't get paid who's better than them. And that shouldn't be how it's structured. It should be structured that everyone spends the max amount of money because sports is about winning. It's not about money. It's definitely structured with ownership to be about money, but it shouldn't be. Right. And it just hurts the game because we're looking at teams that are putting a less than ideal lineup out there because they're saying they're strapped for cash when they're not. And because of that, we're seeing players who, especially this year, it seemed like there were a lot of guys who I expected to be on rosters that ended up going over to Korea and going over to Japan. Whereas in years past, they would have definitely been on a roster somewhere. Yeah, I mean, the, the concept behind Major League Baseball is it's the major league. There's no team, there's no league elsewhere that isn't above or equal to MLB. MLB should be the best. Uh, but Tanaka says, I'm just going back home because, A, I'm not going to be in a country that's rabid with a virus anymore. His country isn't. And, B, he's going to get paid the same amount of money. It, it's like saying, hey, what money, 3000 Would you like to go over to Korea to do your main job? Or would you like to stay in America? We'll pay you the same amount. I'm going to stay here. Why would I leave? Why would I go over there? Why would I take my talents there, even if I'm the best at what I do, when it's not advantageous to me? The, the league needs to create an incentive to make people play baseball. 
and, and they just they don't. They're they're creating incentive to make money, and those things are correlated, but they're not always together, and sometimes they're mutually exclusive. Well, and one thing that is making sense uh, is one of our sponsors, Monkey Knife Fight. Monkey Knife Fight is a daily fantasy sports gaming website for a casual sports fan that is simple, fun, and easy to play. Users determine which superstars compete in that day's professional sporting event and will record more or less than the contested line provided. Monkey Knife Fight's daily fantasy prop games play similar to the salary cap-based DFS games, but without the algorithms, lineups, and most importantly, the Sharks. There are several contests to choose from, none of which require hours of research required on competing sites. Start with a simple two-on-two -two or go for the highest payout 100 times and higher by selecting an 8 by eight or more or less contest. Get started now with a 100% instant match bonus of up to $50 with promo code FFSQC. And one guy, fantasy fans, and I guess basically everyone in Major League Baseball can't wait to jump up and down on is Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, uh, it seems like every time I check out Twitter, there is a different club that seems to be beefing with Trevor Bauer. And right now he's just gotten off to an okay start. I kind of want to take uh, some time, James, to get your opinion on him. Because if you look at him throughout his career, he's a pitcher with an ERA that's not very, it's not very sterling. It's around four and he's been good the last few years. But is he this elite pitcher that everybody seems to think he is? I mean, the last year he absolutely was. He got his spin rate up. He became uh, someone who moved up to that upper echelon. He wasn't there before, but in 2020, he was. In 2021, so far, he's looked in between the two. He doesn't look like he's back to being that four or so guy, even if his numbers so far might say so, since it's small sample. But he also doesn't look like 2020 Trevor Bauer. Uh, in, in my opinion, I think he's awesome for the game. Uh, I definitely don't agree with a lot of what he says, but I think the fact that he says it, he says it with confidence, and he knows he's going to rile some people up, and he doesn't care is just excellent for baseball. Baseball needs to have people who are divisive. Divisive people bring in views. It's true, and if he says something that ticks me off and I don't like it and says some stuff that I don't like about my team, well, that's good. We want to have rivalries. I'm a Cleveland fan. I want to hate the Yankees, and I want the Yankees to hate me back. That's what I want, and Trevor Bauer creates that. It's something that's good for the sport. Uh, you know, the sport's become so much of a business that a lot of players don't hate their rivals because it's a business. Uh, they're not my rival. They're just somebody who I play in this game, and sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. We're trying to win, but if we lose, well, sometimes we do. And that's not good for the business of baseball. Because over the long haul, if no one cares about a rivalry, a rivalry dies. And I think Trevor Bauer is great for the game. Uh, he's exactly the type of person who's taking random shots at Noah Syndergaard just because he can. And it's good. And it's good Syndergaard's chirping back. It's going to make people want to see that Mets-Dodgers game whenever it happens. Right. It's creating eyeballs to the product, and it's doing so in what might be uh, seen as a bad or disgraceful way, but it's lighthearted. It's just full machoism. It's just words. Chill out, people. Let people, <laughs> let people just talk about baseball and enjoy the fact they're doing so. And it seems like sports were kind of missing those heels to a certain degree because back when LeBron was on the heat those first few years, he kind of tried to do a heel turn there and it just didn't work. It didn't feel right because it's hard for LeBron to be that guy. Now, more than ever, it's kind of, unless somebody's done something extremely bad, it's hard to find those heels that you just want to root against. Right. Like uh, we know over in football, Juju likes to dance on the logo. People don't like that. You can't dance on our logo. <laughs> It's something, and it's something that turns Juju from being a solid wide receiver into Juju. It, it's, this is something that takes Trevor Bauer from being a very good pitcher and turns him into Trevor Bauer. You want to have people who are not monotonous robots, even though monotonous robots don't say anything wrong. 
it, it's the catch-22 of being entertained and liking sports. Uh, I want to be entertained while watching sports. I don't want to watch boring sports. And in order to be entertained, sometimes people have to do things that maybe I don't like. And that's okay. It, it's fine that there are people out in the universe who do things I do or don't like. And it's fine there are other people who do things that I do or don't like. Everyone doesn't have to match perfectly. You just have to go, hey, it's fine. Well, and I'm going to try and catch you off guard. And we're going to play America's favorite new game. And it's called Who Has More Hits? A player you drafted Ooh. in the first or second round or Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> so to start off, we've got Wilson Contreras. Who has more hits, Wilson Contreras or Pablo Sandoval? This one I think is easy because I know Wilson Contreras is slumping to start the year. Pablo Sandoval. That's correct. Pablo Sandoval's got it by a hit. Who has more hits, Eduardo Escobar or Pablo Sandoval? Ooh. I want to say a push, but because of the origin of the game, I'm going to go Pablo Sandoval. It's Pablo Sandoval. That's right. <laughs> and then who has more hits, Jackie Bradley Jr. or Pablo Sandoval? Jackie Bradley Jr.? No, it's Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> but I got a better one. Who has more hits, Keston Hurria or Pablo Sandoval? Definitely Pablo Sandoval. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a no good. Ozzy Albies or Pablo Sandoval? I think there's a trend here, so I'm going to go Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> Ozzy Albies got his first hit today, but he did not match Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> it's just you run down these names and you're like, okay, uh, not Jackie Bradley Jr., but the rest of the guys you thought could be legitimate guys that can really help you contend. So what do you do about a situation like this? Do you expect them to kind of have that gambler's fallacy of they're going to turn it around here in the next couple games? Or do you bench them for right now until they prove otherwise? I mean, you, you treat it kind of like you treat stolen bases. Uh, you might have drafted Garrett Hampson last year, and he didn't really play that much. He was a disappointment. But he also finished, I think, like 11th or 12th in stolen bases. He kind of did what he was supposed to do. It was at a much smaller scale than what you were expecting. But also, Ozzie Albies and all these guys, they're going to do what they're supposed to do. Maybe they're going to be a little bit worse because they started so bad at the beginning of the year. But you should be able to understand what is happening, should understand that the sample size is small, should understand that you know the Braves look terrible to start the year. But the Phillies also have a great top end of their staff. He faced Aaron Nola. He faced Zach Wheeler. Having a bad streak against those guys? That's not crazy. It's, it's understanding what's going on. If you got a Chicago Cub like Wilson Contreras who's struggling and he got to face that Pirates pitching staff, that's a little more concerning, but also catchers such a barren wasteland that there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, you know, I got Alejandro Kirk on a few teams. He's not even playing baseball, and I'm just kind of stuck with him because everyone else that's out there is just not good versus not playing baseball. And it's, it's again, it's a long season. You have to mix patience with not patience, and it's a weird combination uh, because you obviously don't want to cut Ozzy Albies, but at the same time, you don't want to play him. So maybe you go add another second baseman. And suddenly, come June, you have two great second basemen. You have to juggle things. Uh, it's another reason why having multi-positional players is so important. Uh, people often don't care or look at that. But Ozzy Albies only qualifies at second base. If you have a, a Brandon Lau who you've had at first or the outfield, and you just can slide him right over, that's huge for your team. If you took a flyer on Gavin Lux going, hey, I can slot him into utility, take someone in my utility slots and slide him into second, third, or outfield if you have a, a Jeff McNeil or someone like that, you just hit the lottery because of how you drafted. And you always got to remember, whatever you think going into week one is not going to be the same as what you think at the end of week one. You don't exit, even if you're in first place right now, going, wow. I was right on all these guys. Someone somewhere isn't meeting expectations or someone somewhere is exceeding expectations. And it's about adjusting and figuring things out. And it's just, it's having patience on the right guys and understanding the guys that you don't need to have that patience on. 
And I guess to take it one further step, you got to know your league. If you cut Ozzy Albies and I'm in your league, I am adding him off the waivers. He will not see free agency. Uh, but if you've got a guy like, I don't even know who's doing porn, like Jackie Bradley Jr., I'm not putting a waiver claim on him. You can go and let him sit there, and you can pay attention to him, and you can go add that hot bat. It's it's knowing your league, knowing what people are going to do, and adjusting accordingly. And it, it's, it's a delicate conversation because some people you want to cut bait with and other people you don't. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that often gets overlooked by a lot of fantasy players is just knowing the rules of the league you're into. Like you're saying, slotting people into different positions and things like that, that can just be huge all around. You look at somebody like, I think it's um, Zach McKinstry on the Dodgers, and he's been on fire to start the year. And he's playing outfield most of the time, but he's second base eligible. So that could be huge for people. Exactly. It's finding those guys that, you know, have that one tiny little iota of additional help. Uh, I know uh, in most of the leagues I'm on, I'm on Yahoo. uh, And you've got guys who qualify all over the place on Yahoo. Mm -hmm. And I frankly love it because you can move (laughs) people around. Uh, I hate losing out on days where it's like, oh, uh, I only have two second basemen. Both aren't playing. I'm screwed. It's like, no, I can slide somebody over, someone who qualifies at three positions like I and Hap, and just go with it. And it's, it's again, it's knowing those little intricacies about a player that helps you win a league. Yeah, knowing your league settings, knowing what it takes for someone to qualify somewhere. So to go back to Yerman Mercedes, how long is it going to take for him to qualify at catcher in your league? Does he need to make 10 starts? Because that's probably not happening. But does he need to make two appearances? That's probably happening. So you got to know how to evaluate people going forward. And it's it's how you win leagues. It's knowing things. It's all about gathering information and using that information. And if you gather enough of it, you're going to win. It's just putting in that effort. Well, and we got a question from somebody, too. He's asking for some advice on Andrew Vaughn versus uh, Dalbeck. Um, Really a good question. I think we're both big time Andrew Vaughn guys, but Vaughn is somebody who has gotten off to a rough start to the season. It might have something to do with the fact that he's also learning a new position as well for the White Sox. What's your kind of take on that, James? Uh, In a dynasty format, it's going to be Andrew Vaughn 10 times out of 10. Yeah. Uh, In a redraft format, I don't know necessarily. Uh, Dahlbeck's likely going to get more at-bats this year but that might also be not so true. Uh, I think I'm just going to take the ties to that White Sox offense, the ties to Andrew Vaughn's college career and minor league career, and I'm just going to run with him. Uh, it feels kind of like an overcorrection to, to flip him for a Do- Bobby Dahlbeck. It's given more time. If we're three weeks in and he's still struggling and Yerman Mercedes is now the full-time DH and Vaughn starting two games and left a week, a week or something like that, then maybe it's time to reassess. But if you miss out on Vaughn and Vaughn's a big whiff for you and he's not as good as Chris and I think he's going to be, well, you can just cut him. He wasn't a high draft capital guy. You're not cutting your losses at this point in the season. You're playing for upside. Uh, Dahlbeck definitely has upside, but I just think Vaughn has more. Yeah, absolutely. If this is just like a redraft league, there is some value to Dahlbeck, I think, overall because – there's nobody really taking that first base job from him. Just based on the lineup, though, he's going to be batting very low in this lineup, like eight, nine, maybe. And the only guy who's really got a shot at maybe stealing some time away from him is Marwin Gonzalez, maybe. Maybe um, Kevin Polwecki can get in there a little bit, too. But I don't think either one of them have any real shot of unseating Bobby Dalback. Uh, Vaughn is somebody who it's going to kind of depend on your league a little bit because is he going to be outfield eligible? Just like we were talking about a minute ago, what are the rules for your league? Is he going to be a guy who get you get to sneak into the outfield or is he going to end up being DH only? Yeah, I would assume that eventually Vaughn gets that outfield status. It's just a, a question of how long it takes. Uh, and that helps. The, that's a little bit of an addition. Uh, I just don't think that I'd be selling uh, on my Andrew Vaughn opinions this early in the season. Uh, He is a rookie. Rookies often do struggle at the beginning of their careers. Uh, It's not something that's that surprising to see him do. 
and, and I just want to give him more time. Uh, I guess it's not really an indictment on Dahlbeck as much as it's just I like Andrew Vaughn more. And, and I do think that there is a chance that Michael Chavis does hit down in AAA, and they might slide him up and yeah. he plays some first base in the bigs. Uh, not the most likely scenario, but I don't think Dahlbeck's just uh, devoid of any challenges if he struggles. I think they're more or less in the same boat where they both should be good. I think Vaughn's going to be a little better. And I think if they both struggle, they're going to find themselves not having at-bats. But again, in that case, you just cut them. They're not guys who are high on your redraft radar. If you're in a dynasty, you just got to hold Vaughn. He's got the higher upside. It's not really a question for him. Yeah, I I love Vaughn. I think his upside is going to be huge. And I think we're both in kind of agreement on that. Um, Bobby Dalbeck is somebody who just kind of caught the right moment in the right system to kind of reach this point in time. Going back to just like a couple years ago, I only really knew about him because he was on those like prospect lists and he kind of made that um, Team USA um, where he had a good year. Um, I think he was one of the all-stars for whatever that Team USA was. So he was good then. So I just kind of rode that wave the last couple of years to making it up to the big league squad, and there's nobody there to take that spot from him. Right. I, I think if you if you look at Dahlbeck and you go, what's the, the most optimistic scenario for his career? It's probably Chris Davis, uh, a guy who hits for a ton of power and right. doesn't really do anything else. And that definitely holds value, especially if he's hitting homers like prime Chris Davis did. But also, power is the easiest thing to come by in 2021. So I'd rather take someone with the average upside of Vaughn. He's going to have higher runs upside than Vaughn. Uh, he's probably got a – or Vaughn's got, probably got a little bit more steals as well over Dahlbeck, uh, as well as probably RBIs. Like, there's just more upside with Vaughn. Uh, and, yeah, Dahlbeck could hit on that power, but you can find power. It's fine. Who has more hits, Pablo Sandoval or Andrew Vaughn? <laughs> Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Uh, that's right. All right. Well, and uh, one guy you wrote about, and I thought it was really interesting, is Shohei Otani. It's kind of a guy where we never really know what to really make of him until the season starts. You see him, and there's so much ability there. What's kind of the long-term value of somebody like Otani? I mean, we're talking about league settings. Is Otani one person in your league, or is right. he two people? Uh, if he's one person, he's got a ton of value. You can get yourself a solid utility bat when he plays, and you can get yourself a, a top 20 pitcher if everything pans out. That's two roster spots in one. So whoever you're rostering with that other roster spot is free money. It's a gigantic value if you have him as one person. If you split into two people, you have a DH who doesn't play every day, who does well, but is essentially a platoon player. And you have a pitcher who's a high upside, terrible risk if he stinks like he did last year. So it's it's just extremely dependent on your league settings. I, I, I don't know how to really evaluate him because I want to evaluate him as two players. And as a DH, he's borderline rosterable. rosterable. And as a pitcher, he's someone you throw on your roster and you see what he does. And uh, if he turns into being elite, you don't move him. If he's mediocre, you entertain trade thoughts. And if he's bad, you cut him. So he's he's kind of a hold everywhere for me, uh, unless you just want to dump him as a hitter because he's not playing enough if you're in a small enough league. So it, it's, it's interesting. He's so unique. He's so one of a kind that actual Major League Baseball should be promoting the hell out of him. Uh, but in terms of fantasy, he's he's weird. Yeah, definitely. And there's also that potential that Joe Madden can throw him out there to hit as a pitcher, too. And Madden has said that. Madden's somebody who loves himself enough to even do that. So just to be a roster, rosterista, as he says, he can put somebody out there to pitch and hit and... I don't know. It just, it seems like it's a bad idea, but he, he's going to do it probably. I'm waiting for the game where Joe Madden uses the DH while Otani's pitching, yep. but not for Otani. He's going to use the DH for his catcher, 
for a shortstop right. or somebody. It's and it's going to give Joe Madden the most satisfaction ever. It's going to give me as a baseball fan who likes dumb, wacky shit mm-hmm. a lot of yep. satisfaction too. <laughs> but it's going to be weird. Uh, Otani is so hard to judge, and there's usually somebody in your league who likes him a lot that I just say, you know what? If he wins somebody in the league, claps for them. I'm not going to go for it. I'm going to invest elsewhere. And if I lose on this one, then I lose on this one, and I'll hopefully invest somewhere that's about as good. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and then to build off of that question from earlier, uh, Forrest Law also asked, uh, in this league, it's kind of roto. Uh, he has Olsen and Mancini. So he's not planning on dropping Vaughn or Dahlbeck. Um, but he wants to get in on Jonathan India, it looks like, seeing him in free agency. It's somebody that we kind of talked about last week, James, and we were both kind of not very high on his upside, more in the Jazz Chisenholm camp. What are your kind of thoughts on him? He's gotten off to a very good start. Uh, I've already reassessed my assessment of him. <laughs> Go and get him. Uh, with second base being as terrible as he is, and in most leagues him having second base eligibility, you want him on your roster. You can slide him over. He can play multiple positions. Uh, I'd cut Dahlbeck, uh, let him walk. Maybe I'd even cut Trey Mancini, although I think I'd want to give him a bit longer of a leash. And I'd go grab myself some Jonathan India. Uh, again, with rookies, you, you have lots of strong opinions. And the second those rookies start to show you something different, you adjust. Uh, so Andrew Vaughn, I was all about starting him day one, letting him play, don't take him out of his lineup. And now he's not playing as much, and he hasn't hit super well, and now I'm adjusting. I'm saying move him to your bench. Let's see what he does. Play him when he is going to play over someone who's benched for that day. Uh, but adjust. And Jonathan India, I'm adjusting on. Get him on your team. Throw him in your lineup. If you miss and you have to cut him in a week, that's fine. That's what the back end of your roster is for. It's for churning people in and out until you find somebody. And Jonathan India, with his uh, positional eligibility and his ties to this elite Cincinnati offense, get him on your team until he shows you something else. Another player that I'm kind of liking at second base is Donovan Solano. Um, San Francisco is kind of one of those teams that not a lot of people get to see very often. He put up really solid numbers last year. I feel like a lot of people slept on him in this year, and he's already off to a really good start, especially considering, like you said, looking around at second base, there's not a whole lot to find out there. Yeah, and and the things that Donovan Solano does well are score runs and hit for average, and that's actually really hard to just find on the free agent wire. You don't find people hit for average anymore. They don't really exist. He can really help you because he can boost your average. He can get you those runs. It's hard to just find people who score. Uh, He's someone who's just so ugly because he's Donovan Solano and he's like 34 yeah. And he plays for the Giants, and they have seven other infielders. And it's just like, why am I investing in this guy with no power? But also, you need to put together your best overall roster. And in order to do that, you need to get guys who hit for average. And if you've got a lot of power, he's an excellent guy to offset. He's kind of like a, a rabbit in a sense. You mm-hmm. add those guys to get your stolen base. Go add your Donovan Solano to get your average. Right. So he's basically Nick Madrigal only without like the name appeal at this point. Exactly. Uh, I think Nick Madrigal, if he could put together Donovan Solano's past three years, including this one, uh, he'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, Again, it's just, it's Donovan Solano. No one wants to invest in it. And usually if no one wants to invest in a guy and they're good uh, and you do invest in him, you're making a winning move. So I have nothing wrong with people investing in Solano. Uh, I honestly thought that San Francisco was just going to rotate through their entire infield and there was going to be hardly any value there until after the trade deadline. But looks like I'm wrong there and and adjust uh, accordingly and go grab your Solano while he hits. Heck, go grab Evan Longoria. Whatever they're doing in San Francisco, turning Mike Yastrzemski and Darren Ruff and Alex Dickerson into actual power hitters, uh, Evan Longoria can come back from that. Evan Longoria can hit. Uh, I've always thought he was going to get playing time this year out of everyone on that infield because he's tied to a bad contract. They want to move, so they want to give him the option to look good. And so far, he's looked pretty good. So 
Uh, again, you, you want to add people who are on hot streaks, who you're also very okay with cutting uh, if they go on a cold streak. Uh, mm-hmm. Once Longoria cools down, you don't mind letting him walk. So go take advantage of what you can do with him, especially in leagues without roster caps. If you can just keep churning guys in and out, do it. Play the matchups. That's how you win leagues. It's how you do it in fantasy football. It's how you do it in basketball. You go up against bad defenses. If you're going up against a bad pitching staff, take advantage. Yeah, and, and Darren Ruff, you're right. He just came back from the dead last year, it seems like. You look at his uh, Fangraphs page, and it starts off with the Phillies, and then all of a sudden there's all of these uh, Korean characters, and then it's back in baseball again the last couple of years. And he's just the guy everybody thought he would be. He's just all power, but again, all power. That's worth investing in sometimes. Yeah, and again, uh, I think they're doing something in San Francisco that's being really quiet because look at everyone's offensive lines last year. Brandon Belt had a career year. Alex Dickerson had a career year. Mike Yastrzemski had a career year. Austin Slater had a career year. Darren Ruff had a career year. Brandon Crawford had a career year. The only person on the team who didn't was Evan Longoria. You don't have seasons where people put together that type of offensive work just by chance. Someone over there has taught those hitters how to do something, and they're doing well, and I want to invest in their offense. Uh, Anyone who gets caught up over there, I'm interested in. Joey Bart, I'm interested in. Buster Posey doing well so far, I'm interested in. Because I think quietly, they're doing something on the baseball ops side that's making players better, and I want in on that for my fantasy team. One thing I would stay away from is just kind of their closer position because they use their closers in such a bizarre way. This year it started off and Jake McGee's kind of got that position locked down, but I don't know if I'd invest in that long term because, you know, Taylor Rogers is on that roster too. He's also very good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 2021. So there's so few actual true closers. You know, I think we've mentioned this a few times. Uh, and I haven't gone into in-depth details as to what my standard closer strategy was going into this year, but I just wanted to draft elite arms. I got Devin Williams everywhere. I wanted to get Josh Hader as much as I could. Uh, I kind of was ignoring who had what closer job and where. And I was actually trying to invest in people who didn't have the closer jobs. I wanted Tanner Scott. Uh, you know, I wanted someone like that. So then when someone shows up like a Cesar Valdez, I can go and add him too, and I already have those elite ratios, so I can deal with whatever Cesar Valdez is doing as long as he's getting that S. Uh, and it's it's that's how baseball is now. You need to invest in the elite stopper guys who will get some saves because there's no real true closers outside of a very few. It, it's, it's a stat that's going to disappear. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see true closers ever again. Teams have realized correctly that's not the best way to deploy relievers. And saves are going to become this really weird stat. And I think sooner rather than later, you should just go and invest in great arms versus investing in great closer positions. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of that with Milwaukee because Milwaukee is just kind of throwing out... They have Hater, who's one of the best relievers in baseball, but they keep having like these other guys that just pop up and they're very, very good, like Jeremy Jeffress and Corey Knable. And now they've got another young, talented arm. It's just like they keep finding these guys that can be a closer, and then you can have Hater pitch against the meat of the order in those late innings. Yeah, they're one of those teams that just somehow always seems to find guys who just get velocity when previously they weren't huge velocity guys. Like Hayter saw his uptick, Devin Williams saw his uptick, Corbin Burns has seen an uptick, Brandon Woodruff seen upticks. Uh, again, I guess I'm saying there's something in the water in San Francisco, or there's something in the beer in Milwaukee, because they know how to make pitchers get VWO. And I really like the fact that they know how to find relievers. And in a sport where pitching is so unpredictable, you can bet on team pitching staffs. You can bet on just the Brewers finding someone to be an elite reliever, and you can go grab that guy early when you don't know what to do. And more often than not, that's a sound strategy. Yeah. Well, and uh, as we're wrapping things up here, James, one guy I just I feel like he really doesn't get his due 
is essentially because he's in Tampa Bay and nobody really cares, but glass now has really cemented himself in my mind as one of these elite pitchers. And I don't think that a lot of people see him that way. I don't know what Tyler Glasnow has to do to really get people's attention, but to start this year, maybe this is exactly what he needs to do to get on that national landscape. Yeah, I think the reason people don't see him as one of the true elites is just his length. He doesn't get used deep into games. He doesn't go seven like Garrett Cole or Clayton Kershaw or Zach Greinke. He goes five, and he's excellent in those five. He's a star in those five. But when you look at a fantasy season and you look at 30 starts and you take two innings off of those 30 starts, that's an extra 60 elite innings out of Garrett Cole that you're getting that you're not getting out of Tyre Glass now. Uh, on the same effect, you're going to lose a few wins because they pull them after four and two-thirds. Right. And that's going to frustrate the heck out of you, and that's not going to happen with Garrett Cole. If he gets pulled early, it's because he wasn't doing well, not because they want to preserve his arm. So I think Glasnow's in that top tier. He's on a team that lets him rip it, but he's not, and he's not there yet. And he's the type of guy I don't personally ever want to own because I would get so frustrated at him, and I would just hate seeing him and be like, go, one more inning. Come on, Kevin Cash. <laughs> but also, baseball nowadays, it's about making the postseason. It's not about winning in the regular season. The playoffs exist just to get there. Uh, you know, it used to be the best team in the AL, the best team in the NL, met in the playoffs, and as the World Series. That's the only part of the playoffs. Now it's a big, giant tournament with all these teams. So you don't really care about what seed you are. You just care about getting there healthy. And that's what Tampa Bay does. They make sure they get there, and once they get there, then they kind of let them rip, so to speak. And while that's good from a Tampa Bay winning the World Series perspective, it's bad from a fantasy perspective. So I'm not as high on glass now and i understand why a lot of fantasy owners aren't either because i don't see that upside existing i don't see tyler glass now becoming a guy who goes deep into games ever if he's on tampa bay's roster yeah max scherzer back in detroit kind of had that same problem where he was five and fly and if you didn't get those five out of him then what good is having max scherzer and just it seems silly to think about because it's so long ago now but that's the way Scherzer was viewed is he's very good, but do you really want him? Exactly. I, I remember a time when there was a debate between Max Scherzer and Jared Parker. And I remember I was on the wrong side of that debate. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I missed on that one, but it, it's true. Scherzer left and he wanted to go pitch some length and he became one of the best pitchers of his era, if not the best. And, you know, maybe Glasnow is going to do that, but until he leaves, he can't be anything more than a five-and-fly guy. They're going to be the best five-and-fly guy, but he's still five. Mm -hmm. On our Going back to old misses, Darren Ruff was one of mine. I was big on Darren Ruff. I thought he was going to be maybe the next, you know, you know, Howard or one of these big power hitters at first base that just made a ton of sense in Philadelphia. I was like, okay, this makes sense to me, but no, that wasn't happening. Yeah, and I, I think it's always important to keep in mind and remember those misses so that when you see somebody that you've missed on here, like uh, me and Max Scherzer, I, I waited too long on him. I'll, I'll openly admit that. I said, eh, he's going to get hurt. Eh, he's not that good. Oh, he's not going to be good. Oh, it's been five years and he's very good all five years. Oh, I think I was wrong. It, it's better to admit you're wrong early so you don't keep missing out on him. That, that's something that takes a lot of players' time. Uh, but over, overall, as a manager, you need to understand that you don't know everything, that you're going to make mistakes. I'm going to continue to make mistakes. If you're taking my advice, awesome. I, I think I'm able to give you solid advice, but I'm not going to hit for 1,000. No one out there is. You certainly aren't either. And if you make a mistake, correcting and admitting, yeah, I shouldn't be perfect is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. I cut. Trevor Story off my team because I already had a shortstop that season. So that was fun. <laughs> I drafted Trevor Story in a 32-team, 40-man roster league before he had any prospect shine. The second he started to get some, I shopped him like crazy, and I dealt him, I think, I want to say it was Corey Sullivan. I traded him for someone who I absolutely should not have traded him for. And I was like, oh, well, you're missing on some. 
Yeah, yeah, it happens. All right. Well, and uh, just as we wrap up tonight, uh, don't miss out uh, for fantasy sake has gear available. If you're looking for hats, t-shirts, the t-shirts are excellent. There's a baseball t-shirt. Uh, Doug has an outstanding one that's gray and black. I have one that's uh, black and white. They're awesome. Check those out on our Facebook page or check those out on our Twitter page. Or you can also visit the website. It's viridianglobal.com. But that's going to wrap it up. Um, any last thoughts, James, on the upcoming week or any thoughts about what you're looking forward to? Uh, I'm just looking forward to get more sample, seeing more baseball, getting to see which one of these guys, uh, these German Mercedes and Tyler Naquins, which one of those guys actually kind of sticks for two weeks and has us going, oh, is this a full season guy? Is this more than just a week? And, you know, it's it's that same part of the season. It's going to be games 7 through 14 of 162. There's so much more to go, and just peeling back another layer, I just can't wait. Well, and next week, we'll find out who has more hits, Yerman Mercedes or Pablo Sandoval. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I'm Chris Steele for James Vecchio. This has been the Payoff Pitch. We hope you all have a good night.